0: Everyone, and welcome back to the Everyday Business Show. This is Tony Lontis, your host, and today we'll be joined by Dr. Olivia Ong. But before I get on with the show, here's what you need to remember. Wherever you're watching this live, if you look under the show notes, you will find links to everything that we talk about today. And for those of you that are maybe listening, pop on to drolivialeong.com where you'll find all of dr olivia's information and if you pop on to tonylontis.com click on the co-host tab you will also find all the information and links to anything that we talk about today if you're watching this live on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitch and Twitter, thank you so much for joining us for another live show. This one will be wonderful as well. Wherever you're listening and watching us across the planet, thank you for joining us today. If you want to watch the catch-up shows, please jump on to Binge Networks TV USA, Hero Go TV USA and the Tony TV channel app available on all Roku, Samsung, sung and LG smart TVs across the planet. Now, our wonderful guest today, and this is the third in our series of three shows with the gorgeous Dr. Olivia Ong, who is the founder and CEO of Dr. Olivia Lee Ong, the heart-centered doctor. Here's what you need to know about beautiful Olivia before I introduce our guest, as a compassionate leadership and resilience coach, Dr. Olivia tells her story of how she overcome a devastating spinal cord injury when she was a resident in 2008 and had to learn to walk again with two sticks and a limp after four agonizing years. Dr. Olivia's spinal cord injury taught her that a very important lesson and we've been talking about this over the last two shows and we'll talk about it again today and that is self-compassion and if ever there was a time in our history as humanity that we need to practice self-compassion, now is that time. Now behind this premise of Dr. Olivia's creative business, the heart-centred doctor. She decided that she needed to teach other medical and healthcare practitioners these concepts. Dr. Oliver is an author and she's just finished writing her first book, The Heart Centeredness of Medicine. And she wrote the book after seeing countless numbers of her colleagues suffering from burnout and stress due to overwork. Uh, She writes in a way that helps doctors find their way back home. As a medical leadership coach and mentor, Dr. Olivia helps busy, high-achieving, heart-centered doctors avoid burnout and exhaustion and to achieve a Balanced energy and time flexibility through her life transformation for doctors programs. So, she offers one on one coaching, workshops, and speaking engagements on burnout, compassion, fatigue, and vicarious trauma in doctors so that they can stay in the game longer. And as a compassionate leader, Dr. Olivia wants to leave a positive legacy for the upcoming generation of young doctors. And Dr. Olivia helps doctors, nurses, and paramedics across the world achieve the balance they need to keep going. Welcome back to the show, Dr. Olivia. Thanks, Tony, for having me. It's been a delightful series of shows for me mm. in particular. Um, as a nurse, not only have I seen and experienced what burnout, fatigue, and mental breakdown look and feel like, it's been wonderful to discuss these concepts with Dr. Olivia. We spoke just before the show um, and both of us were saying that this year in particular, it feels Mm. almost like we're limping into Christmas. And I think that has a lot to do with the worldwide pandemic. Good morning, Dr. Olivia. How's it going for you? I know it's close to Christmas and it's nearly time for a break, but how are you doing today? I'm doing really well uh, uh,
1: this week. So my son is uh, back from school, like, you know, he's in school holidays now. Yes. So I think I really, I'm really, i really enjoying that time, spending time with him. And we're probably going to watch Spider-Man sometime sure. this week. Yeah. Yeah, because it's out, it's out in the cinemas and I'm sure it's out worldwide, I think. Yes. And it's been yes. doing, I mean, the movie's been apparently having had good reviews. So I'm really excited about it.
0: I know. And, and see, that's
1: the thing Oh we, about- are, we are excited about
0: it. <laughs> That's the thing about Christmas. It's actually the best mm. excuse on the planet to have a break and practice yes. self-compassion, isn't it? And self-compassion mm-hmm. is about those little things, like going to the movie with the kids. Um, yeah, mm. I was thinking, gosh, it's been a long time since I've been to the cinema, and my one of my treats was go to Gold Class, you know, where they bring the food yes. and the drink and you just sit there and watch on a yes. big screen. That's one of my, and I haven't done it for years. years, mm. I don't think mm. um, Dr. Olivia, back to the pandemic. Um, I want to just quickly yeah. talk about the levels of fatigue in the healthcare sector. Mm. And this is not uh, not just Australia. This is globally there's an outpouring of fatigue, exhaustion from dealing with a pandemic. And lots of people, there's not a lot of people talking about this. So from your perspective, just tell us what your colleagues are feeling at the moment. Well, you know, it's,
1: it's far from over the pandemic. Now we've got Omicron in, you know, looming ahead. So initially, you know, I guess with the um, pandemic pandemic, doctors and nurses and many other frontline healthcare workers were fearful about
0: mm. I guess
1: catching COVID what happens if they catch COVID and spread it to their families mm. and now that fear has kind of seeped away and it's becoming fatigue so fatigue uh, like it's global fatigue not just in Australia peop- uh, doctors and nurses and other frontline healthcare world. workers around the world yeah and um, I think the fatigue is just like probably a sense of hopelessness and helplessness I feel in my yes in my uh the people that I no know
0: like end in sight. there's
1: no end exactly there's no end in sight and they're just getting despondent again I think mm. and not only they're just getting fatigue and you know they're having to deal with the usual things like um uh, the, the increasing not only increasing workload but The constant
0: complexity like of the workload guess, as well because managing COVID yeah, and the... very sick patients is complex. They're in ICU for mm. a reason, they're incredibly ill on multiple levels. And I'm not sure that people realize the impact that has on a doctor or a nurse's psyche. Dealing with complex, you know what to do, you know how to do it, but then no one, you know, having to tell someone how sick their loved one is then conversely mm. having to bring them the worst news in the world so that has an impact on our health uh, workers and the fact that this uh, that happens in the normal scheme of things yeah. but during a pandemic it's constant it's never ending and it doesn't look mm. like there's a there's, there's a solution um your colleagues very much, I know, are suffering. Um, have you got any words of advice for any healthcare practitioners that might be listening that feel exactly that at this moment? So, mm. part of your practice and what you do now is around heart centeredness and balance. So, this morning I wanted to explore some of those ways which our yes. healthcare pr- pr- practitioners can bring that balance back into their lives.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I feel that I'll, the piece of advice I really want to give my my peers who are on the front line, and there's so many of them right now, is to probably recognize that you are human, you know, like you're you're not meant to be operating like a robot in this constant, stressful working environment. Just take a time, some time, just a little bit of time, a couple of seconds to pause that and you are human. It's okay to take some time. A little bit of a break to rest and that's okay um it's it's nothing against you or anything and it's I think them find I think they find it hard to even take a break because it's it's hard to find for them it's hard to give themselves permission and not only that um because obviously staff members are down in the roster so they've got to pick up more shifts and of course the fatigue just gets worse and worse that way and I'm s- sensing a lot of that because um, like if, let's say someone on the roster is down with COVID and of course yes. other people will have to take on the shifts. It's the same in medical and same as nursing and paramedics as well. It's all the same. Um, so that's probably why they are more than more tired than ever. And I think they've had enough. Um, yes. So I wouldn't be surprised. We talked about it if Last we see week, doctors, nurses and reside. paramedics leave the profession. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And we've seen a else. lot of Yes. That.
0: And I'm I'm not sure that people understand if you're talking about ICU to get to the point where a doctor is working in intensive care, that's a huge amount of years of their life that they've invested in studying and training to be an intensivist in ICU. So when we talk, when Dr. Olivia and I talk about staff leaving that Mm. you can't replace them tomorrow you just can't the next intensivist is 10 years away so when one of those experienced staff leaves there's a gap that's not really filled and I don't know if people understand that that's the consequence of all of this and even for nurses it takes years to get Mm, to that point where they're competent and working Mm. in intensive care And they're just not replaceable. It's a finite resource. And if we don't look after them and we don't help them to get through this time, healthcare will be in just a terrible state, won't it, Dr. Olivia?
1: Yeah. And um, definitely, you know, like when, there's these gaps where the anesthetist, let's say, if the intensivist has left, yes. they have to think about pulling it from other specialties. Like anesthetics comes to mind because they yes. know how to intubate patients. Yes. And guess what? The anesthetist is already, is already fatigued and burnt out, and they've got yeah. to take on ICU shifts yeah. on top of anesthetic shifts. And yeah. guess what? They're, you know like it, it's an add-on effect on the it other is. specialties.
0: Absolutely, yeah. it, it and, just completely impacts on the whole healthcare system. Mm. Um, When you see nurses and doctors struggling at the level with Mm. which they're struggling at the moment. So we really need to put our arms, collective arms around them and give them love and support. And for anyone listening who has um, practice compassion for medical practitioners of any level, because they're weary, they're tired and they could do with some loving, couldn't they? um Mm. it's hard out there um and whilst we in healthcare had been effectively practicing and thinking about pandemics most of my career we were always told that at some stage humanity Mm. will experience a pandemic now we've seen we saw glimpses of that with SARS and and MERS but nothing like what we're experiencing at the moment. So I want to digress a little bit because you've got a beautiful Mm. story, Dr. Olivia. Um, You were um, set on um, a medical career. Everything was falling into place. You were a resident and then something Mm. happened in 2008 that changed the trajectory of your life. Can you tell, refresh the audience and tell us about that story? Sure. Sure, Tony. So,
1: on that particular day, in fact, I remember the day. It's tenth of September two thousand and eight. It was an ordinary spring day here in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. I was a res- I was a registrar at the time, first year registrar, mm-hmm. um, on my way tough. to work, or actually out- Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think I, what I remember happening is I remember parking my car and then walking along the hospital car park, like I like you yes. do every day going yes. to work, right? Yes. And then out of, out of nowhere, a car at high speed just rammed into me. I hiked like, yeah. And um, the next thing I knew, yeah, I was, I was on the ground and I was lying in a fetal position, awkward position. And But I didn't realize that my back had, had dislocated because of the impact of the uh, car. Um, and yeah, the impact of the uh, dislocation of my lower back rendered me a paraplegic. So um the the thing about my um injury happening in a hospital, I was whisked away or transferred rather to the one of the major trauma hospitals in Melbourne and I had mm. I had immediate medical treatment. In fact, I had friends who actually worked in the hospital, which actually was a blessing in disguise. Definitely. So they got they helped me co- coordinate, yeah, they helped me coordinate my care. And I, I was so grateful to have all these friends and we're still obviously friends up to this day. Yes. We talk about what happened. There. And um, yeah, on that same night, um, I had emergency spinal surgery because my spine was not stable at all. Basically, my L1, L2 vertebrae has just dislocated. So the back has snapped in almost in half. I know it sounds, cory. And there are some bone fragments from L2 that smash totally. And the They're floating around in and... the
0: mix, aren't they? Like doing yeah, whatever they're yeah, exactly. getting in the way.
1: Yeah, and uh, exactly. And then the floating into the spinal canal where the spinal cord sits and yeah my spinal mm. cord was was damaged um and then you know after the spinal surgery that was just the beginning of a long long it was. haul mm. a very long haul in fact the uh, recovery from the surgery was a blur because I was under you know like sedation I and was
0: gonna pain medication. ask you if you actually so you remember parking the car and walking you don't mm. re- you don't have you don't remember the actual impact at all
1: no, it happened so quickly, but I yes. was definitely um, awake throughout. Yes. Only when the impact happened, obviously, I, yes, you know, it happened so yes. quickly. Yes. And the next thing I knew, I looked... Because that's the first thing I did. I, I opened my eyes and, and just analysed whether I had a head injury. Because I knew yes. I, like, my, I just yes. had to wear my... I just had to be a doctor for a little yes. while and going... I didn't have a head injury. I wasn't a. I wasn't a quadriplegic. I could move my arms. Yes. And then I couldn't move my legs. And I go, um, "Oh gosh, is it a pelvic fracture? Is it a um, mm. spinal cord injury, or what? You know, leg injuries. You know, th- those are the things that yes. pop up in my mind." But um, yeah. So after the spinal surgery, you know, um, a few weeks of medically not quite yes. stable. Like, you know, my health. Yes. Yeah. It was a bit hit. Like a bit, bit precarious. It's at that a point. very
0: yeah. serious for for anyone listening. They're very mm. serious, complex injuries because there's multiple yeah. body systems um, exactly. that are involved and then it's very life and death for quite a while mm. with spinal mm. injuries of that magnitude. Yeah, exactly. It was literally life
1: and death. I couldn't eat. yes, So they had to put a nasogastric tube or a tube up my nose. Oh,
0: they're horrible they things. A...
1: Yeah, that's <laughs> not pleasant, that one. I, don't know. I have to admit. And I yeah, could only drink orange juice for for yes. some reason. I could only drink orange juice for something Yeah, I'm not sure ah. why. And I, 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 um, yeah, I had dif- you know problems with my bladder. Yes. and had to put a catheter in. So I was like tubes everywhere, everywhere and drips everywhere. I was very unwell for a couple of weeks.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. which um, gives you a whole nother perspective on what it's like to be a patient. So you, they got you through that initial horrible bit and then you started on eventually started on rehab and your rehab in particular ended up taking you across the world to uh san diego and um every time i talk to you about this story all i can think of is how horrible that long flight from australia must have been i just just to do the flight would have been almost enough to turn you off leaving and going to San Diego but you had an opportunity to uh, participate in an amazing program and mm. it changed things for you didn't it yeah it sure did so you know on the plane ride I think my excitement
1: and nervousness over kind of over superseded the you know thank discomfort being on that. The plane. <laughs> yeah I think I just um, visualized what it would be like to be in the actual yes program, yeah. doing what I needed to do to learn to walk again. I think that kind of um, kept me going for the whole yes. flight, even though it was a very long flight, 14-hour flight to Los Angeles, yes. yes, which is where I had to go first, then take another, then go to small San Diego. Pl- another plane ride to San Diego. That's yeah. right, yeah. But we, we figured out in the end that it was better just to drive from LA to San Diego. So we just oh. touched, yeah. After, after a trip or two, we just decided to just drive. land in LA and then drive down to San Diego, which is a beautiful drive. I just like say, that's
0: it's a gorgeous drive
1: beautiful drive yeah yeah, highway five I think I can't remember I think that's pacific highway five that's the one it goes on the whole yeah it's a good drive. yeah yeah I remember that very well and yeah so um I was in project what for three years and that was the best three years of my life yeah I felt initially I felt a bit like scared because I didn't know anyone there yeah. but I think I, I, people were just like so warm and friendly the trainers were uh, really approachable and really helped me out because there'll be days where I will dip into a low of course yeah, absolutely. anyone with a spinal cord injury will probably can re- and or with any serious injury can probably relate to that there'll yeah. be days where you go like am I gonna ever get out of this yes. whatever this is yeah. and there'll be days where you're on a, on a very happy on a high And the trainers were there for me every step of the way, and the friends I made who also they also have spinal cord injuries Mm -hmm. and they're going through a very similar journey. And I think this is where self compassion. uh, When I now when I reflect back, I realize this is all self compassion.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, Yeah. and that's when it really really helped to heal me from the inside out.
0: Mm. I was
1: starting to be kind to myself. I was you know initially before I came to Project Walk, I was really hard on myself because I had to adjust to a life being in a wheelchair. People giving me looks kids coming up to me and you know trying to like say what's wrong with your leg you know people coming up I even have like not just kids strangers coming up are you all right <laughs> um do you need some help or how's your leg you know like they will be I, I yeah. know they're just like curious but obviously yes. me at that time it's
0: hard to deal yeah with
1: I, I found it quite yeah it's, it's really hard to deal with um like that kind of vulnerability which I see as yes. weakness at a time yeah. yes and that shame I had, the guilt and all like, Why did I land myself in this position? It was my mm-hmm. fault. Yeah. I should have not been in the car park at that time. Those things do um, ruminate through my mind time and time mm-hmm. again. Yeah. And, and then, I've, yeah, as I, say, I felt quite lonely when I first started in Project Walk. Yeah. Um, but that changed, obviously, when I made new lots of friends. Mm-hmm. And then I acceptance i think self-acceptance was the the thing that yeah. really helped me got over the other line mm. of learning to be kinder to myself to be more compassionate to myself and that's where things really changed like i started to get more involved in i guess doing things outside the physical yes. rehab yes. yeah yeah because i was just so focused on the physical
0: and intensive rehab that i
1: i yeah i didn't even want to socialize but yes i realized that through the socializing that's how i actually healed. Yeah because you know I, yeah so the friendships did, I made that actually was the healing piece
0: did you have to gain hope again cuz i'm thinking that there was a certain amount of hopelessness in the early stages of your recovery where you just thought what am i like what am i going to do like am i ever going to be adopted so was the in san diego did you start to get some hope back and think okay i can do this I can still be a
1: doctor.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's the
1: atmosphere of Project Walk is such a positive mm. vi- vi- vibration place. Like yeah. everyone was, maybe it's, I mean, I, I found that Americans are generally more op- like um, optimistic uh, group of people. Yes. <laughs> uh, yes. I, I don't know this is stereotyping, but I, I generally feel <laughs> that my American friends are usually the more positive ones. I have going to say,
0: Americans it's, are it's, just... It's probably a fact. Uh, well, absolutely, oh. I, I I absolutely agree with you. I think Americans are very positive and uplifting and I love working with them and, and uh, there's something mm. that we as Australians are not always the most yeah. uplifting of populaces, um, but we're, uh, Americans are very positive, very uplifting and they really celebrate the wins, don't they?
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So even when we all had little wins, our trainers celebrate with us, whether it's like a trip to Starbucks or having dinner together after training. Yes. Yes. You know, it's stuff like that. So we celebrate every single win. So uh, now that I'm a coach myself, I realize that I I also celebrate little wins and big wins with my clients. And it made me think about my time in project. What were my trainers? You know, like they celebrate every single win and yes. even when i have bad days they were there with me too to talk about it and debrief with them so i think it's that yeah the the environment where i was in such a positive environment helped me mm. so i can't such an environment is
0: i was just gonna say and um yeah. i've had coaches and mentors the whole yes. my whole business journey and i yeah. it took me a while to Uh, be vulnerable enough to accept coaching and mentorship number one but it has definitely made a huge amount of difference and so I know that what Dr Mm -hmm. Olivia does is incredibly important because once you have that external set of eyes rather than listening to the negativity that permeates through your mind once you have a coach or a mentor that can go hey now wait." that's not actually true. You are not um, you're not the horrible person that you think you are. You are not hopeless. And there's something about that process of a coach or a mentor uh, putting external words into your brain that really helps you take, take yourself forward and achieve greater things. There's a reason why uh, phenomenal sports people all have coaches. Uh, because they want to get somewhere, they want to achieve mm. something, they want to create yeah. something, should be no different for the rest of us. And I'm really glad that Dr. Olivia had this experience so that it she learned these amazing things and now teaches doctors and nurses and paramedics and people in the healthcare sector what this stuff looks like, how to be your best self, how to get rid of that imposter syndrome because doctors they're no different from other human beings they still feel um that they're imposters don't they olivia
1: totally um it's the environment where we we work in we're constantly made to feel inferior to other to the other people and that's why imposter syndrome is so um prevalent i guess in the medical community absolutely yeah but i want to encourage um people who are listening to this, the imposter syndrome, just see it as a good thing. And we talked about it last yeah, in our last really show. It. Mm. It's a sign that when you have imposter syndrome, it means that you actually care enough about what you do and your message yes. and all the work that you do. And it, it's a sign of growth. It's a sign of expansion. So when you when you feel that imposter voice creeping in, just, just be it's mindful that it's, actually, that it's actually it's actually growth on, yeah. uh, on your part. It's actually a good yeah. thing. So yeah. when you reframe it like that, it's actually really, really helpful. I I found yeah. that. Really helpful when I started reframing that way, rather than getting quite you know feeling having this inferior complex going. Or that person is that doctor has got everything like going on really well, like head of the department, you know, like what's going on, beautiful kids behind
0: the the scenes, what's going on, what are they struggling with? that you know, and it could be anything, couldn't it, Olivia? It could be an argument with their family or a fallout with their siblings. Like it could be anything that goes you're a bad human you're not a good person Mm. those voices in your head that Mm. everyone has and and once you start to recognize that that's what you're saying in your mind you can once you know about it you're conscious aren't you you can't be unconscious of it going forward and sometimes the best Time to uh, tackle those voices and those um, conversations in your head is with a coach in a safe environment that allows you to mm. explore what sits behind some of those voices and some of those conversations because they they can relate back to childhood they can relate back to a traumatic memory and in Dr Olivia's case. Lots of them are going to relate back to that accident about why was I there, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, exactly. And once you have someone to help you navigate through that, you start to move yeah. forward. Um, Dr. Olivia, was all of that work around mindset helpful in your recovery? Did it, did it correlate with your recovery when you started to recognise what was going on in your mind? Did that correlate with the recovery as well?
1: Yeah, exactly. So when when I shifted my mindset, it wasn't like a, it like a like a Light quick bulb. thing that happened. <laughs> Light bulb, yeah, it actually happened, <laughs> like in small bits every day. So the yes. train, like, there'll be a milestone I achieve, and then, or there'll be, uh, and then the trainers will celebrate with me. Or there'll mm-hmm. be some tasks that are really hard, and I'll be yes. like, I don't know whether I can do this, and my okay. trainer will be encouraging me. So I think um, you know, like these trainers, even though they're not coaches per se, but they are they've got a really positive mindset, a growth mindset. they encourage yes. me to let's just keep going, be open to learning new things, and I guess that that was my first exposure to some kind of coaching perhaps, but it was coaching myself through myself my recovery to work, mm-hmm. learn to walk again so yeah. that that journey itself was probably a lot of self-coaching on my part because every day I had to deal with all the negative stories and beliefs, like what if I'm stuck the way I am? I can't move. It's too hard. It's so painful. And, you know, lots of those kind of limiting beliefs do pop up a lot when Mm. you're, when you're doing such a, you know, intensive rehab for such long periods of time. It's like five hours each day.
0: Um, Monday
1: to Friday for three years. It's a lot. It's probably, I think that it's probably like an Olympic athlete. They have to do something similar. And I'm like, geez, I'm not even an (laughs) Olympic athlete. I'm like, you know, I'm a medical professional, like, I'm not even, you know, I'm not, like, physically fit as well, that was before the injury, but obviously, the funny, the funny thing is the, the intensive rehab made me fitter, (laughs) much more healthier than, like, able-bodied people, so I was, like,
0: yeah, yeah, because I was able to,
1: yeah, like, I I got so fit that in San Diego, I was able to do kayaking, in Mission Bay in San Diego, the, Ameri- the, P- the San Diegans will know where it is. Mission Bay. Mm-hmm. I actually climb a mountain with my trainers, like trek up a mountain, up and down, like, Whoa. and that was with my um, semi-paralysed right leg, um, with the, of course the help of my trainers. Especially up going uphill and downhill can be a bit tricky. So I was with, so I was able to do all that. So, so I have to say, like mindset shiftings, mindset coaching in an indirect hey. way through exercise yeah it really correlates totally
0: yeah
1: with recovery as well
0: when you were talking last week about the uh exoskeleton because that was the the first Mm -hmm. kind of part of that that helped you like get upright wasn't it
1: yeah yeah because yeah my uh, core muscles were not strong enough when I first came to Project Walk so and um yeah I was my balance was not great so the exoskeleton was really helpful um, they got a machine um, which is similar to the ones they have in the Netherlands, maybe is in right. Netherlands, Germany. It's called Lokomat. But this time, um, the Lokomat, it's like a robotic system where the machine actually moves the legs
0: and then you just so the feel machine, as if you're walking. So the machine does the work for you. That must have been an amazing experience. Like the first time that, yeah. did, that happened for you, you're like, oh, wow. Exactly, yeah. Is, yeah.
1: So it was um, good. Um, but the machine that Project Watt has is... Not the one that I was exposed um, that I had from. There was a facility in Melbourne that had that particular exoskeleton, mm-hmm. but it was getting quite costly to attend weekly. Yes. Um, yes. So the the, um, the owner of that practice actually got the local map from, yeah, it's, it's overseas, Germany or something. Yeah. But the ones that, um, that I had in Project Walk was half supporting my weight, but the trainers still need to move my legs. So you can imagine the trainers yeah. had to sit down and physically move my leg and they had to do that for like 20 minutes so you can imagine the kind of bonding i had with my trainers we were very cl- we worked really closely together and they were like i could tell like because as a as a rehab physician i knew that when they were doing stuff like that it will make their neck hurt and their backs and their mm. arms Yeah. 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 And then, yeah. And then my trainers will obviously tell me about, oh, you know, I've got like wrist pain. I'd be like, why am I not surprised? Like, you know, but it, because, because I'm a doctor, so that's why they're, happy, like, they're willing to share and be vulnerable about their sure. ailments, I guess, as trainers. But, you know, we're, we're so open with each other. And, and I'll say, yeah, because you've been doing repetitive work. That's what you've been doing, <laughs> like helping us clients move our legs. So we're very grateful. Yes. So we usually throw a party like every year for that, for the trainers. Uh, yeah, Americans uh, throw a very good parties, so uh, <laughs> the Australians try to match it. We try to match it, but it's not the same. No, <laughs> um, no,
0: Dr. Livy. In terms of the the advances in technology mm. relating to spinal cord injury, there's some amazing yep. stuff happening out there with AI and uh, robotics, and mm. uh, and the Uh, interactions between you know the human body and uh, the attachment of uh, amputees the attachment of robotic arms and stuff it it is conceivable in our lifetime that if you have a spinal cord injury that you will actually be able to walk again isn't it
1: yeah because I think we cannot underestimate the power of visualization that's Mm. a different part of the brain that's the visual I think it's the visual and cortex where you yes. imagine yourself walking or imagine yourself or let's say for amputees imagine yourself moving your arm and that's activated through the brain and that's starting to show that's all this AI that's happening so huh? I won't be surprised if it's um it starts to um you know have lots of equipment and I remember this watching this movie called was it called Avatar in 2009
0: yes, definitely um, yeah I think
1: yeah, Um. I remember the lead character oh, was gosh, a Oh, gosh, that
0: would, him? yes, that, yes. Yeah, that and that, been... that
1: reminded me of, of that movie and then how mm. in the virtual reality world, he's got, like, he's a, a like, walking. a normal, well, mm. not normal. He was an avatar, I guess, of some yeah. sort, yeah. and walking. So it can be it can be achievable. Like, I'm sure people have gone on, oh, you know, like, with the initial iPhone, they go, is this for real? And then now with the right. iPhone 13, we, right?
0: What did so, we do without an iPhone? Like, you know, exactly. That. So we, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we
1: have to really be open-minded to Dr. all these Olivia, technologies.
0: In, yeah, in thinking about like Avatar, where he's a quadriplegic or a parap, anyway, and and Parad, his, yeah. yeah, and his he goes from that to being able to walk freely and do amazing things. I'm wondering about that link and that visualization link between mm. what he's actually experiencing in virtual reality and how that would impact on his mind because it's just a big uh, visualization technique on steroids isn't it exactly
1: exactly and then there's that sense of this I think there's a lot of to healing that's more than just physical healing that's also emotional mental and spiritual healing and I think um, we're starting to realize that there's more to western medicine now there's a you know, trip, there is um, holistic medicine. We're talking about energy-based Definitely. healing practices. Energy like we have based, the heart, yes. heart Mind Institute. We got Heart Heart Math. You know, like we've mm. got so many doctors right. who are kind of like um, doing holistic things to help their patients heal. So I've mm. met so many mindfulness, um, self-compassion teachers who practice that. Yes. I mean, one clear example. I mean, Deepak Chopra he's an MD. Yes. Yes. Um there's many other, I mean John Kabadzing is also an MD, right? Mm-hmm. Like th- these are doctors, but they've gone into mindfulness. Other or areas of, of other areas of healing. Yeah. Exactly.
0: Yeah. yeah, I think that's what is will be exciting for healthcare in yeah. the future. Mm. Is all of these things, the interaction between exactly. the mind, the ability of the body to heal itself if we mm. allow it to, all of those things yeah. will start to come further into generalized healthcare which is pretty darn exciting isn't it Mm,
1: exactly exactly i'm really excited about this because there's a lot more to yeah um just the physicality of medicine there's all this other wonderful uh, modalities that involve and i'm really excited i know that in america they're they're more or less integrated for some, oh, like Western wow. and Eastern, yes, but Australia is still quite. There's a dichotomy still, so we still <laughs> need to work say, we're hard a on bit, it.
0: Yeah, we're a little bit. We're a bit behind. Those. Yeah, we're a bit behind. Um, So all of this actually leads to your life work, which is happening right now. And that is around the programs that you have for healthcare practitioners Mm. from nurses to doctors to whoever and how, how your knowledge and understanding has led to this amazing, um, the amazing programs that you have for healthcare professionals to live their best life. Mm. So imagine if, just because of your journey and what you've been through that's caused you to be right on heart-centeredness and publish a book on heart-centeredness of medicine Mm. and uh, create these amazing programs for for coaching what if that led to um helping a doctor who made a huge discovery in cancer because the if you're living your best life and if you're balanced and practicing vulnerability self-compassion and that whole living your best life that allows you and your brain to achieve amazing things doesn't it exactly exactly you're right and then
1: there's always that part of the you know like there's more to the mind that meets the eye that's also the subconscious mind that we we kind of yeah. kind of ignore, but that's where our powerful emotions place. arise, a very powerful place. And that's mm. where imagination visualization arise from as well to look into the future, to, to hope for a better future. It all comes from that. And to so dream I think, yeah, we need to... and
0: create and innovate. That's where all that amazing stuff comes mm. from. So the more of our um, healthcare practitioners that operate from that space then we yeah. can achieve amazing things with, within healthcare. Um, one of your programs, Dr. Olivia, is called the Life Transformation Program. And I love this one just simply because I love the CIA formula. Can you tell yeah. the audience about the Life Transformation Program that you run and what is the CIA formula?
1: Yeah, the Life Transformation Program for Doctors, essentially it's a 12-week life coaching program that I uh, I have for doctors you know, clients who are doctors and other healthcare professionals, purely when they come to me, they feel a lot of um, inner chaos. Mm. There's a lot of overwhelm and stress for obvious reasons. A lot of them work in the front line, either in the front line or some of them are running medical practices. And so they're business owners. So their burnout is quite different. So um, the clients that I have, have got burnout from different situations. Mm. Um, As we know, in the last 18 months, a lot of business, small business owners have been badly affected by the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And that includes clinic owners like yes. doctors and surgeons. And, you know, I mean, yes. surgeons are doctors, but yes. you know what I mean? <laughs> yes. Yeah. And um, and yeah, their yeah, business have also been badly affected. Even in Melbourne, we had four months where I think surgeons couldn't even operate. So you can yeah. imagine they have to pay the bills, pay the mortgage. Kids still have to go to school or homeschool mm-hmm. in that regard. <laughs> This, yeah, and then that put on a tremendous um strain Drain. and toll on them, and mm. and, and that the, the burnout rate obviously has gone up because of all these financial things. Mm. Um, so most of my clients come from that um, setting, where like people who are small business owners, who are specialists, and they're burnt out, or they are doctors in training in hospitals, and they're burnt out because yes. of the roster has been crazy. Yeah, overwork. Yeah, so different kinds of overwork, but outcome is still severe burnout. Mm. so they all come to me but I have to say that if they are uh, at the point of quite severe burnout where they start to develop depression anxiety that's where I t- actually tell them not to be coached by me and see their GP that or, primary physician sure. or GP. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and then see that or, or see a psychologist sometimes mm. even a psychiatrist yeah if things get really un- not yes. not well controlled mm. and then once they're you know they feel that they're that side of things mental health side of things is um well controlled then they can come and be coached yeah. so that's i have very strict criteria about it because you can't be coached uh, in the best way if you are you've got depression oh you know like depression yeah. and things
0: yeah I, and i'm and, um, yeah
1: it's,
0: just thinking about um that combination of of um being a doctor Uh, and having that healthcare perspective and being coached by you, it actually gives a really holistic because as a doctor, you're going to know straight away, oh, okay, this person has some severe depression that needs to be sorted first, then come back Mm -hmm. and do this, this, and this. I know from my own experience that I had to get that breakdown depression sorted and then I started on a whole self-discovery learning process that has taken me on a journey where I never knew what was possible Mm -hmm. and that's the thing about human capacity for change Mm. innovation and creativity you don't know where Mm. you can go if you don't start somewhere and for any health professionals listening to dr olivia today you don't know what you can create when you have the right person to help you do that and it's Mm -hmm. about accepting that a third person or someone outside of you will see things in a different way they'll be able to pinpoint uh unreal expectations they'll be able to pinpoint blocks and things that are holding you back in a way that you will not notice that because you don't know you need an external person to help you work out what's going on. And then bang, here's what you need to do. Do this, this, and this, I'll walk with you. I'll support you. And bang, off you go. It's coaches. I think are something that we will see really come into the forefront of everyone's minds in the next decade because it really amps up human capacity and capability and if there's ever a place where that needs to happen it's healthcare, isn't it Olivia?
1: Yeah, totally Tony. Um, what I'm tr- my initiative right now is to actually introduce peer coaching in hospitals because I find that um, a lot of times, um, when doctors are in distress, they have a hotline to call and sometimes that hotline doesn't even work. So I'm like, where do they turn? Who do they turn to? They can't keep debriefing with fellow colleagues who are also equally burnt out. So that, I mean, the a lot of hospitals in the US have actually introduced peer coaching programs and ah. they've been really successful. Yeah, so the Americans again has gone, has, <laughs> it's ahead of us, Damn. but you know, like, but they've done really well. They've, it's actually good to be ahead. So I, I know who the gold mm. standard people are. Yeah. And then to approach them directly and say, "Hey, how did you get um, all these programs up and running?" I know that there's a few doctors in Mount Sinai in New York City mm-hmm. where they've got lots of well-being resilience programs up and running for doctors, they, not just doctors. I think uh, all the guys professionals in, in
0: distress. Yeah, the guys in New York had it tough. Like yes. when COVID hit, oh, yeah, very they- tough copped it like just horrible times times. so that's good to hear that that they have those programs um up and running uh and yeah absolutely that peer help and support is and and we never used to see that did we olivia there was no nobody talked about support for um young residents coming into the hospital and healthcare setting and it's it's a huge thing, isn't it? It's a it's a hugely yeah, different exactly. environment from university, and there's so many moving parts and things to coordinate and to get used to. And if you have a cranky consultant and a bad roster, it's a mm. it's a horrible time to transverse for them. Recipe so we, for disaster. It yeah, is, yeah. isn't it? It's a total yeah. recipe for disaster. And you think I think about it now, and I wonder. How did those residents cope? Like how did they get through? Uh I I yes, like yeah. terribly difficult. So if we set things up so that they are geared for success versus mm. burnout, that would be great, wouldn't it? Yeah,
1: just setting up you know these doctors for success if preventative measures for burnout. That's I think we need to kind of reframe burnout not as a problem mm. to be fixed and then just thrown away in a corner, yes. it's more of a it, dilemma, because it's something that we have to battle with. Uh, like, we have to be mindful that it will pop up a lot. Mm-hmm. And we do need to have a strategy plan for it to prevent it. So we need yes, to exactly. adopt two or three habits. And mine, always, uh, mine, which is actually the CIA formula, comes from my yeah. habits. Actually. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my own uh, personal habits, which I actually... Um, has have now encompassed it in the coaching pro framework coaching framework mm-hmm. so c will be compassion which is what yes. we've been talking about self-compassion and that allows that has a lot of physical like a lot of um, actual practical um, habits that one can do even like putting a hand over the heart it's so simple like yeah. this when you're like when you're stressed like you've got like all these
0: i know doesn't it doesn't it
1: and then you've got cr- yeah yeah a crazy a working really...
0: environment simple thing but that hand on the heart and two deep breaths and Mm. it's okay
1: yeah yeah exactly just simple things like that Mm -hmm. and the eye with intuition is to always tap into your intuition when when you're you know when you're doing things rather than trying to stay in the head or analytical mind all the time and you're some you know more often than not the intuition is always right and it's probably a very freeing freeing um feeling because your intuition helps you to be creative and find solutions outside the box or things like that never forget about our intuition
0: (laughs) in 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 the university setting where where doctors start all their training do they ever talk about intuition
1: no they never used to i i i don't think so i don't think they still talk they haven't talked about it yet but they're starting to be very um like mindfulness has found its way in in good. the curriculum of uh, universities, medical Excellent. schools. So we're starting to see a trend. Then maybe self compassion can sneak in in a good and way. And then intuition. Sneak intuition
0: in. And in intuition probably follows through. Yeah. 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 I because, think it's
1: important. Yeah.
0: Because sometimes you've got a patient that presents with XYZ and you're thinking, oh, I think it's PQRS. Um, and that's intuition going, don't go that way, go this way. And if all of our doctors were going, ah, uh, going, oh, intuition says this, maybe I should do blah, 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 better oh, healthcare, yes. better healthcare for everyone. Much more fulfilling for exactly. doctors as well, I'm assuming.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I mean, that's probably what quite a number of doctors actually pursue their creative interests outside medicine like Mm -hmm. for myself i'm an author i've met many doctors who have become authors as well or yeah or they become actors like ken jong is clear example he's an md and he's now an actor in hollywood yeah um there's many uh, there's many others as well um who end up as speakers or coaches like myself there's so many physician coaches around the world because they saw themselves as pursuing something creative outside where they are mm. in medicine mm. and a lot of them have actually managed to complement both well because it's in Definitely. terms of your, you know you, fast, i am the brand it? or i am i i am the brand right? yes and i am me so i am that's I, my identity and you know like that's and i'm really proud of, i'm really happy with it so i think yeah yeah, yeah. i'm starting to see a lot more doctors embracing their intuition and creativity and Good. pursuing their interest outside medicine which i'm really happy to see
0: yes yeah, yeah. And the final part, the A, what
1: does that stand for? That stands for attitude, and that was actually a game changer for me when I had, uh, when I was getting coached and then received coaching. My mindset shifted, so I realized that coaching is so powerful because mm. it can literally expand your mind, like absolutely, really good, yeah, and get you to see things from a three hundred and sixty perspective rather than one hundred and eighty. Mm. I think that's what that's a, that's a good sum. I guess a good summation of yes coaching which is, helps you see the 360 picture. Not 180. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I get yeah exactly big picture yeah yeah so um that's that's and then attitude will mean like having a op, being open-minded and that's a lot of um the uh, things they've been talking about in mindfulness like beginner's mm-hmm. mind that's actually mm-hmm. attitude that's actually good attitude yeah so even though you're don't always try to aim to be an expert in everything, which unfortunately happens a lot in medicine. Everyone tries <laughs> to be an expert in everything. Yes. But uh, I think having a beginner's mind and learning new skills, learning new things, even meeting your patients, have a beginner's mind too and mm. not have preconceived ideas about the patient. And that's for PMA, people working in healthcare. I mean, that, that kind of mindset shift has helped the, shape the way I practice medicine. Has Definitely. made me enjoy yeah. medicine a lot more rather mm. than finding it, you know, um, burdensome I found it more enjoyable now because I can have really meaningful conversations with my patients and as a coach I have meaningful conversations and coaching sessions with my clients so
0: yeah. It, it's
1: it, yeah it works it's wonderful yeah, it works conversation really
0: well. it, like it's just wonderful I mean of all the horrible things to happen to you in your life the outcome is this amazing yeah. heart centered practice and coaching practice yeah. that I only see will grow as uh, we talk about it more across healthcare. Dr. Olivia, mm. we are out of time yet again. It has been a real privilege to share this time with you. For everyone listening, please jump on, connect with Dr. com or Dr. Olivia Ong on all socials, wherever you see this um interview you will find information on how to connect with dr olivia if you're doctor listening you have to grab a copy of the heart centeredness of medicine by dr olivia Ong. Um, we look forward to i look forward to chatting to you again next year but dr olivia thank you so much for sharing your time with me i appreciate that you are busy wonderful amazing practitioner and it's a been a pleasure to chat to you on this show series and that my friends is a lot for this week and we will be back after Christmas with some more.